<laughs> Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of verses this morning in Acts chapter 4. Um, this is our second week in uh, our study of the gospel. And what the gospel is, thank you, first of all, for, oh, and if you need a Bible, Larry's got some in the back. Um, feel free to stand up and go grab one if you, if you need one. Um, you won't be disruptive. Or, um, as, okay, so, so first of all, um, I, I just want to thank you for your flexibility. Obviously, we're usually downstairs. We're, we're up here this morning. Um, it's, it's good to, to be up here and good to, 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 to experience a different space. Jesus said very clearly that um, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so what we're doing is, is, is imitating him in that. So we're, we're displaced, and when we're displaced, um, it's an opportunity to, to, to follow him into, into Christ-likeness. So we're, so we're we're in this series. Uh, this is the second week, and we're talking about the gospel exclusively. We're talking about the gospel, and this morning is Palm Sunday, so I hope to tie that in a little bit with what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, but uh, one thing that we want to talk about when we're when we're discussing the gospel is just the necessity of it. Um, what is what is the gospel, and why is it necessary? So last week we sort of tackled the clarity of the gospel and just simply what it is. And this week we're going to tackle um, why it's necessary. Why, why is the gospel necessary for us? The, um, the, uh, why is the gospel essential? So hopefully that will make sense as we go along. Um, we're taking five weeks to talk about the gospel. We're taking five whole weeks to talk about it. That may seem overblown to you, but I guarantee it's not. We might take another five weeks um, or another ten or, or, or the rest of the time. We're, we're always talking about the gospel in some sense and because, because it, it, it is the, the power of God to save those who believe as Paul writes in Romans 1 uh, chapter or Romans chapter 1 verse 16. And so there's a few reasons why we want to take some time and just talk exclusively about the gospel. Um, and the first reason is, is just because it's central to all that we do, or it needs to be central to all that we do. Um, it's very important. We, we say that we're gospel-centered, and that's kind of a catchphrase in the church right now. It's kind of a buzzword. But for us, we need to be focused on, on what that actually means. And the, there's no way to be centered in the gospel if you can't ar clearly articulate or understand fully what the gospel is. So in that then, sort of the second reason that's born out of that is what are the, or how does the gospel impact our relationships, our, 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 our work, our everyday life, our vacationing, our hobbies, um, whatever it is, how does the gospel impact those things? And the ability to speak or to understand how the gospel impacts those things, like we talked about at the end of our time last week, is movement away from, out of, spiritual infancy. So for us, what we want to do is move out of spiritual infancy. So we know the gospel. This kind of brings us to our third, our, our third reason for studying the, the gospel together. But the, the reason we want to move out of spiritual infancy is because the Bible has called us ambassadors. We've been, we've been shaped by the gospel. We are changed by the gospel. And we've been given a new identity. And part of that identity is as an ambassador. So as an ambassador, if you're, if you're thinking about what an ambassador does, right, um, an ambassador is an individual who goes in, into another country and represents his or her country of origin um, um, in a foreign land. Um, so if you get appointed as an ambassador and you show up to meet a head of state in the country that you're assigned to, if you show up and aren't able to ar ar articulate, clearly articulate, do you see how I couldn't even articulate the word articulate? Um, if you clearly cannot clearly articulate the policies and procedures and positions of your government, 
then you've failed as an ambassador. You have not lived up to your identity as an ambassador. As those who are in Christ Jesus, we are his ambassadors. He has called us that. And so it is expected that as ambassadors, we have the ability to articulate clearly the truth that God wants to us to take into the world. So if, if we are called ambassadors, but we are unable to articulate it, then we uh, are not uh, in line with the title that we have been given. So that's the second part here. So we want to understand how the gospel impacts our relationships, our work, our vacationing, our hobbies, whatever it is, whatever those things happen to be in our day-to-day -day lives, we want to be able to articulate how the gospel impacts those things because going out from there and defining that is going to help us bear witness to what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So the definition we decided to use last week, and you'll see it on the screen behind me if you just go to the next slide. The, the definition we decided to use, this is important for us, the definition we decided to use, we asked four essential questions last week. Who are we accountable to? The answer is God. Who, well, what is our problem? Sin or rebelling against God. Uh, what is God's solution? God's solution is the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how can we be included faith in or trust in or belief in Jesus? That's how we are included in that. So the definition that we've decided to use coming out of that is the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again to eternally reign as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only never-ending joy. So again, the definition that doesn't include the four things, those answers to those four questions that we talked about. Who are we accountable to? What's our problem? What's the God's solution for that problem? And finally, how are we included in that? A definition that doesn't include those four things is incomplete. Uh, and so we're working to, to, to put together a, a definition that is complete, that is correct, based on biblical data. And it is this, that the gospel or is the good news of Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again to eternally reign as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only that we're ending joy. So that brings us then to this morning. We're going to talk about the necessity of the gospel. Why is the gospel necessary? Why is it, is it essential for us? For all people. Why is it essential for all people? So... Look at your Bibles, then look at Acts chapter 4. We're just going to read two verses. We'll give you a little bit of context here as time goes on, too. But look at verses, uh, verses 11 and 12 of Acts chapter 4. This is Peter speaking these words. Peter was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, along with James and John. And so he spent a lot of time at Jesus' side in Jesus' earthly ministry. But now Jesus has died, he has raised it, been, been raised again, he has ascended into heaven, and now uh, the Holy Spirit has been given to the church, and uh, Peter and the apostles, are the sent ones, are going out to uh, proclaim the truth of the gospel to build the church that Jesus promised he would build. Okay, so this is verse 11 and 12 of Acts chapter 4. Peter speaking says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation, or there, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
So in our time together, talking about the how, why the gospel is essential, first we just need to ask the question, what does essential mean? Essential is, is just means absolutely necessary. It's absolutely necessary. There is, there is no compromise here. It is absolutely necessary. The gospel is absolutely necessary. So I think it's good to think about the physical because we're physical beings and, and we tend to think about things in the physical often. Right? So what's absolutely necessary for physical life? Your smartphone? Maybe. But um, no, I hope not. Okay. Try oxygen. Something like oxygen. Oxygen is absolutely essential. If, we, if we're cut off from oxygen, then our physical life, our organs begin to shut down, everything begins to, to, to go awry, and, 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 and our physical life cannot continue. Let me submit to you that, that even more essential than oxygen to our physical life is the gospel. Now, this is hard. This is a little bit diff different because it's an idea, right? Or we think of it as an idea. But even more essential to our physical life is the truth of, of the gospel. And there are a lot of different reasons why. Like, how can we compare those? Well, a couple of reasons. One, God's word. Okay, so think with me here. God's word thinks of us as human beings as holistic people. And now there's a lot of debate about what that means. Is it, is it body, soul, and spirit? Or is it body and soul? Whatever, that doesn't matter here or there. We are thought to be holistic people. 100% whole. So we, there's a spiritual reality for us and there's a physical reality for us. And the gospel is even more essential for our physical reality because when we die, when this earthly body that's decaying right now passes away, when it goes away, Right? When, when, when this is no more, we will be raised, if we have trusted Christ, we will be raised to physical life in Jesus Christ. And we will exist in eternity in the physical. And so it is even more essential, the gospel is even more essential than oxygen here on this planet than, than, our, than, than, what we, uh, than to our physical life. So that's the first reason. The gospel ensures that all of us endures. Our physical life will continue when this body dies. We'll be raised with Christ. That's what we celebrate next Sunday when we get to Resurrection Sunday, right? That's what we celebrate next Sunday is that our physical life will uh, endure despite the fact that this body won't. And not only that, but our soul and spirit will also be preserved for all of eternity. So the Bible, first of all, views us as whole people, a whole being. The physical doesn't take priority over the spiritual. The spiritual doesn't take priority over the, the physical. We don't draw distinctions between those two. They are, uh, we are a whole being. The second reason then why the gospel is essential is simply because it's God's chosen way to save us and communicate salvation to us through Scripture. We don't have to guess how we're to be preserved. preserved. I, hear, I hear a lot of this, right? This goes on a lot. If you're sharing Jesus with someone, like, well, nobody really knows. Nobody really knows what, what's going to happen or how it's going to pan out or, or whatever. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna, nobody really has an understanding of that. But God's prescribed way of administering the solution to our problem is given here in the pages of Scripture. And so we can say with absolute certainty, as those who have put our trust in Jesus, that we can be assured 100% of, uh, our, of our resurrection, as of our being raised with Christ because of the truth of the gospel. So it's simply, the gospel is essential because it's God's chosen way to save us as communicated in the pages of Scripture. So then as we look at our text this morning, as we look at verses 11 and 12 in Acts chapter 4, there are a couple things that I want you to note this morning. These are probably going to be things, um, these are going to be two things to write down this morning. If you don't write anything else down, if you're a writer, down. 
No other name. Right? We see this in verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. This points to, here's the word, and the exclusivity of the gospel. It points to the exclusivity of the gospel. And we'll talk about that in a minute if, if, if that word needs defining. We'll talk about that in a second. The second little phrase here is given among men or just among men. Given among men. This points to what seems to be paradoxical, but the inclusivity of the gospel. We'll talk about what that means too. We'll define that as well. So, no other name, exclusivity, among men, inclusivity. So, first in context, if we're looking at Acts chapter 4, right? So, go all the way back to Acts chapter 3. Right at the beginning of Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, again, these two guys who are in Jesus' inner circle, who walk with Jesus very closely, who spent a lot of time with Jesus in his earthly ministry, Peter and John are headed to the temple to pray, right? And there's a lame guy there who's, who's asking for cash. He's sitting outside the temple asking for money. He's like, I need money. I need to, I need to live. Um, will, you please, will you please give me money? Peter looks at him and he says, I mean, I don't have any money. But instead, he tells the man to stand up and walk, which the man then does. The man stands up and, and he walks. And then, then after that, when we get to verse 11, uh, 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 John, or Peter, then preaches the gospel to everyone with an earshot. He's just like, okay, this just happened. Everybody's freaking out. He's like, I'm going to preach the gospel to everyone who can hear it. Anyone who can hear it in, in the vicinity is going to hear the gospel right now. Um, but there are some religious leaders present, and, and the text actually says that they get annoyed. Like, they're annoyed by this. They just feel annoyed. And so they arrest Peter and John. I don't know, keep you, like, arresting someone for being annoyed. Okay. Good thing we can't do that in our society. It's like, arrest Peter and John for their annoyance with them and for their message. But in the process, because of all this happened, everything that took place at the beginning of Acts chapter 3, uh, Scripture tells us that the, the numbers in the early church grow to, to 5,000 very quickly. The next day, then, Peter and John are brought before the leadership, before the religious, the Jewish religious leadership, and then Peter preaches the gospel to them again, uh, which, uh, which where is where our verses this morning are situated, right? This is kind of the end of, of Peter preaching to them, verses 11 and 12. And the religious leadership looks at Peter and John and sees that they're, verse 13, if you look at verse 13, that they're uneducated men. Now, when they saw the bull disappear in John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, right? He's like, how are these guys speaking this way um, when they don't know anything? When they legitimately have no kind of education? They look at them and they, it says, uh, Luke records that they were astonished. And they, so they, what they do is they sent Peter and John away and just said, guys, stop preaching this stuff. Just, just get out of here. Stop it. And Peter and John are just like, yeah, right. And then they just leave. We're, we're going to keep doing this. So the two things then from the verse, right, the, the verse 12 in particular, the two things from this verse, no other name, um, given under, under heaven, given among men, those two things. So first, let's tackle these one at a time here. Uh, no other name. What does it mean when, when Peter says this? So Luke records Peter saying this, that there is no other name given under, uh, under heaven, given among men. Um, I said that this is the exclusivity of the gospel. So what does that mean? 
It means simply this, that, that you cannot receive salvation through anything other than trusting Jesus. If that problem, remember that problem is our sin and our rebellion, um, and there is, there is no way that we, as people, can receive uh, salvation through anything other than trusting Jesus and his, his work on the cross. So Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says very clearly, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this is, this is incredibly countercultural for us, right? This is incredibly countercultural for us because we as people, well, if we walk out into the world right now, it's like we can see downtown right now, if we walk out there and engage someone with the gospel, we're probably going to get some, some feedback on that. Right? We're probably going to get some, some feedback on that, and it's going to go something like this. All paths lead to God. Right? We hear that a lot. That happens a lot. There's like, so our media is saturated with that. Like everything, any, anywhere that we go, there's like something along the lines of all paths lead to God. Or, or something like this, we'll, we'll just all end up in the same place, ultimately. And, and a message that, that, that makes that known or, or speaks that is one that is, is fundamentally rejecting the Bible. Fundamentally rejecting the Bible in its entirety. They just don't cut out parts that they that they like, but or that, that they don't like. But they're fundamentally rejecting the whole thing because the whole Bible is pointing to the fact that we are saved by grace through faith because of the work of Christ Jesus. Um, and and the, the response to that is frequently, well, well this is narrow-minded, right? Well, this is just a narrow-minded thought. Which is, which is kind of like ultimately not a, 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 a diss, right? It's just kind of like, okay. Um, because Jesus said very clearly, if you're, if you're believing the truth of Scripture, Jesus said very clearly, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So a wide gate, if you say, well, like, there are many paths lead to God, a wide gate leads to destruction. Usually the Bible addresses that very specifically. Many paths that is fundamentally anti-biblical. So think about the way that you get a job, right? Think about the way that you get a job. Maybe this will this will help this idea, right? You go you fill out an application or submit a resume, then you go to an interview. If that goes well, you get a phone call, and they say maybe a second interview or something like that. And they say ultimately it winds up if you get the job, you say you're hired, right? They say you're hired. The way that you don't get a job is by submitting a resume, having an interview, getting a phone call that says you're going, that they're going another direction, and they'll keep your resume on file. But that you, that, that you don't have a job, right? So like, you don't get a job by getting a phone call that says we're going another direction. That's not the way that this works. It doesn't work that way. It, the conditions, all the conditions have to be met. So the point of that is this. The Bible is clear about the conditions that need to be met. And since we as people cannot meet those conditions, because we as people cannot deal with our sin problem, we need to trust in God's solution for our problem. That solution is Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's the only way. Um, now, okay, so, so there's one thing to say many paths lead to God. There's one thing to, to say, well, there, there are other ways to, to, to obtain salvation. There's one thing to say those things. But it's something entirely different to put it into action. So I think that this might seem like a reach for some of us, but, but this is how I believe that it plays out. You and I, as people, just as people, um, get distracted by the train. You and I, as people, 
are, are masters at building our own way. Everybody's looking for the train. It's gone now, guys. Don't worry about it. We're masters at building our own paths. We're masters at building, constructing our own gates. This is what we do. This is what we do. This is who we are, just as people. You, we, we think to ourselves, well, if I were to work harder, if I made more money, if I could send my kids to this school or that school, if I could keep the house cleaner, if I could just muster up the strength to get this project thing or this thing done, this is how we think. But the word of God is clear that there is no other way. Only through belief in the person and work of Jesus can we be saved. And, it, and it's not so much, it's so subtle, right? It's so subtle. It's not so much that we think to ourselves, oh, I'm doing this to be saved. But, but we still fill our days with all of these activities, and we expect to perform well in them. When we don't, we're downcast. We're, we're frustrated. We, we move on. And like, it's when, when we, what we should be doing is reflecting on the fact, you know what? Like, there is no other way that we can be saved. Um, there, there is no, nothing that I can do on this earth, whether I execute this project perfectly at work or not, whether I clean my house perfectly or not, or whatever the situation might be. There is no way that we can, as people, earn God's favor on us. And so this ties us in then this morning to Palm Sunday, right? So we're starting Holy Week. We're moving towards Resurrection Sunday next week. And, and Jesus rode into Jerusalem to kick off this weekend. And people were shouting when Jesus rode in. We sang in our first song this morning. People were shouting, Hosanna. Right? Hosanna, tra translated, essentially means save, please. It's like a, it's a request. We're making a request for salvation. Save, please, is, is the request. Now, when the people were saying that, when, they were, when, they were, when Jesus was riding in, they probably didn't understand the full ramifications of what was going on. They probably didn't fully understand what Jesus was doing and accomplishing by riding into Jerusalem on that morning. But they knew that a deliverer was coming, Right? And so their shouts were, save please, and these came as a result of the understanding that nothing else was working. Nothing else in their world was working. They were an occupied people, the Jewish people were an occupied people. Their home was under the rule of another government that was not theirs. Their government existed, but it was sort of a puppet. It, didn't, it was underneath, it, didn't, it, didn't under, it was not allowed to freely practice the things that they wanted to practice on a, on a daily basis. So they were occupied people. None of their attempts to throw off these oppressors. They've had many attempts throughout the, the centuries that it hadn't worked, and it had been 700 years that they had been occupied, currently by Rome. So this was utter political turmoil to be Jewish in the first century. It was just utter, utter political turmoil to be a Jew. That's the way that it was. And so we look into our time and we think to ourselves, if we're in a political turmoil, it's important to look at history because these people were, were oppressed to the core. So save please is what they're shouting. Was what they shouted. They shouted when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. They were shouting, save please. It was the acknowledgement that they could not save themselves. And if they understood exactly what they were shouting or not, probably they were looking for political relief but in reality, what they, what they needed was something to relieve them of the sin that they existed in. And so God's exclusive way of achieving salvation for them was riding into town on a donkey's colt. 
His exclusive way. And it was all going to take place. Everything that needed to happen for, for God exclusively to make a way was going to take place within the next five to seven days. So no other name then. When Peter says this in Acts chapter 4, no other name means that Jesus is the only way. You can't make a way for yourself. Jesus is the exclusive way, the only way to be saved. Um, within the past two to three years, well, no, it's been longer than that. Within recent memory, um, a lot of celebrity pastors, a lot of celebrities, um, people who are, think along the lines of, of many paths have pushed the fringes here. These are some names that you might be familiar with, might not be, it doesn't matter. Rob Bell, author, speaker, and former pastor, wrote a book called Love Wins, which he describes hopeful universalism. Hopeful universalism. And universalism is just this idea that regardless of what you believe or say or do here on earth, that you'll ultimately end up in the same place, that you'll ultimately be saved. But again, our text speaks this morning to something very different. There is no other name. We must call upon his name, the name of Jesus. This is the only way to be saved. And so we reject this idea of hopeful universalism. Another man by the name of Brian McLaren, he's a self-described evangelical and prominent leader in the emergent movement, which is kind of pretty much dead at this point, wrote this book called uh, Generous Orthodoxy, in which he writes, I don't believe making disciples must equal making adherence to the Christian religion. It's like, how can you be a follower of Jesus and not do what Jesus says? So those are two examples of, of the way that our culture has drifted in this understanding. The way that our culture has drifted and compromised the exclusivity of the gospel. Dr. Albert Mulder, an author and leader of evangelical thought, responded to this statement by McLaren about disciples. And he, he uses our text. He says this, All that stands between the statement and the truth is the New Testament. Such proposals work fine if we don't need a Savior, but we do, and there's only one Savior. Salvation is in His name alone. And then Muller later writes, If all we need is a teacher of enlightenment, then Buddha will do. If we, all we need is a collection of gods for every occasion in need and hope, Hinduism will do. Will do. If all we need is a tribal deity, then any tribal deity will do. If all we need is a lawgiver, Moses will do. If all we need is a set of rules and a way of devotion, Muhammad or Joseph Smith will do. If all we need is inspiration and insight into the sovereign self, for crying out loud, Oprah will do. <laughs> but if we need a savior, only Jesus will do. That's right. Only Jesus will do. And that's what Peter is saying here in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Narrow is the gate. There is no other name given under heaven, or under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So exclusive. The gospel is exclusive because there is only one way. Second then, given among men. And this is where this starts to seem paradoxical. Now that we've talked about the exclusivity of the gospel, we need to explore how the gospel is inclusive. So this phrase, given among men. Now this issue isn't for guys, right? This issue isn't for men. It's mankind is the idea here, right? Given among men. It's for all people. It's given to all people. All kinds of people. So this alters the narrative, right? This alters the narrative. What Peter is saying here is that it's no longer just about one group of people, no longer about where you were born, no longer about your nationality or your background. 
It's no longer about these things. It's no longer about what you do. But in Jesus, all of that has changed. All of that is altered. Because of Jesus' work, salvation is now open to all people. It is now open to all people. This makes the gospel inclusive. It means that anyone can be saved in Christ Jesus. Call upon his name and you will be saved. Regardless of where you're born, salvation is offered to you. Regardless of who your parents are, salvation is offered to you. Regardless of the things that you've done, salvation is offered to you. You see, in the Old Testament, God reveals himself to one type of people. Uh, In Christ, in the New Testament, he makes himself known to all peoples. Every single person, every single thing that you've done, every single place that you've been in your life, salvation is offered to you. There is not any point in this life where that offer is off the table. He makes himself known to all types of people. Paul says that the gospel, we quoted this earlier, Paul says that the gospel is the power to save those who believe. It's to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, and Greek is just a stand-in for Gentile or for non-Jews. He's just using that as a stand-in word. So it's, it's offered to the Jews in the Old Testament, but then it's offered to all people in the New. Jesus' work on the cross, his dying and being raised up, was not just for one type of people, it was for all types of people. And this is what makes the gospel inclusive. So just as, just as by way of summary, so there's two words then, exclusive and inclusive. And incredibly important to our understanding of the gospel and how it impacts our day-to-day life. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I'll sum it up with this statement. If you don't hear anything else this morning, listen to this. The gospel is essential. The gospel is essential because Jesus is the only way for all people to be saved, no exceptions. The gospel is essential because Jesus is the only way for all people to be saved, no exceptions. You can't be saved in any other way. There's nothing that can stop that way from saving you. So, as we draw to a close in this morning, remember our discipleship thoughts from last week. We want to think through how the gospel impacts and directs our discipleship and how we follow Jesus. So, as a disciple, we are a a worshiper and we are a learner and we are a witness. And I think I have a slide here. Yeah, so um, disciples, then, who make disciples, we talk about our mission, right? Our mission is to be disciples who make disciples. Disciples who make disciples are those who encourage one another in the truth of the gospel and build one another up, up to be worshipers, learners, and witnesses. To bear witness to the truth of what God has done in our lives. To learn more, to know God through his revealed word, and to worship God by bringing him glory in all that we do, by finding satisfaction in him alone. So this morning's discussion then, the exclusivity and inclusivity of the gospel impacts our witness greatly. Unfortunately, we get this point wrong far too often. We're quick to say, there are other paths to God, or maybe we don't say that, but we act like it. Rather than speaking up and saying, Jesus is the only way to the Father, we casually affirm people's misguided notions about how to be saved. We do this all of the time. Okay, so it it comes down to gospel-centered, God-centered wisdom imparted in situations. 
set against man-centered, worldly encouragement. Right? Okay, so so someone uh, here's an example of a statement that's man-centered and worldly. Oh yeah, you work hard. You deserve that thing you really want. Oh yeah, you work. We, we say this all the time, even as those who believe in Jesus. What does a gospel-centered encouragement look like in that instance? Here it is. You deserve death because of your sin, but Jesus stepped into your place and graciously offered you life. We're going to flip this, this rhetoric of, of, of deserving, right? What is it that we actually deserve? We don't deserve a car. We don't deserve a boat. We don't deserve these things. We deserve death. But because of Jesus, because he stepped into our place and graciously offered us life, we can have life in him. Here's another statement that is simply man-centered and not encouraging. Well, that person is really being a jerk to you at work. Just cut them out. Just cut that person out. What does gospel-centered encouragement look like? To a statement like that. What does gospel-centered encouragement look like? We were all jerks to God. We were his enemies. We were his enemies, entirely opposed to him. He came to earth, but regardless of the fact that we were his enemies, he came to earth, he died in our place, so that we are no longer his enemies. And not only that, not only are we just neutral, we're called his friends. We are friends of God. Therefore, if that individual is being a jerk to you, forgive, because you've been forgiven more than you could possibly ever fathom. So, two statements here. The exclusivity of the gospel informs our witness by directing us to the fact that nothing else offered here on earth can provide us with that which we need to be saved. The exclusivity or the, the fact that Jesus is the only way, the exclusivity of the gospel informs our witness by directing us to the fact that nothing else offered here on earth can provide us with what we need to be saved. The inclusivity, or what, what brings all types of people into this offer, the inclusivity of the gospel informs our witness by directing us to the fact that every single person we come in contact with needs to hear the good news. Every single person, regardless of past, regardless of race, regardless of parentage, regardless of blood, regardless of their own will, needs to hear the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. So that as we go from here this morning, as we go from here this morning, we shout along with those who were worshiping as Jesus rode in to Jerusalem, we shout, Hosanna, save please, because we know that salvation is found only in Christ Jesus and it is available then to all people. It is available then to all people. So these four questions that we're going to ask these each week. We're going to ask these each week throughout the five weeks that we're together talking about the gospel. These four questions that apply again to us this week. Four things to ask yourself as we go from here. Thinking and reflecting on the fact that the gospel is only, that the only way to be saved is found in Jesus Christ. And that the gospel is for all types of people. That way, that inclusion is granted to everyone. Four questions then from last week that we talked about. And reflect on these this week. I, I challenge you to reflect on these this week. Can I clearly speak the gospel? 
Can I clearly articulate the truth of what God has done for me in Christ Jesus? Can I clearly speak the gospel? That's internal. And then there's three external disciple-making questions that we need to be asking. Who am I encouraging to worship God by finding satisfaction in Him and seeking to glorify Him in all things? Secondly then, who am I encouraging to know God as revealed in the Bible? And finally, who am I encouraging to bear witness to what God has done through Christ Jesus on His or her behalf? So those four things, let's reflect on those together. Let's reflect on them in our community group time this week. Let's reflect on them as we think through um, what it means that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. And that that way is granted to every single person who's ever lived. So next Sunday we'll talk about the historical realities we move to Resurrection Sunday. We're going to talk about the historical realities, the, the actual resurrection and what the Bible says about, about Jesus coming back and what that means for us as believers and how that impacts our gospel witness in our day to day. Right now, let's pray. We'll begin.